Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see all of you here. We're going to read God's Word together. Sound okay? Let's do it. This is Acts chapter 4, and that's our passage for the morning. And I'm going to be reading verses 32 through 37. This is the Word of God. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to them was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was no needy persons among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses, sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as they had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. This is the word of God. Praise God for the reading and the hearing of it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your incredible grace and mercy. Thank you that we could read your word and sing your truth together as a congregation. Father, we thank you for what you're doing at Living Waters. We pray that you would pour out the blessings of the gospel over and over and over again upon us, Lord. May your grace be known here. God, we thank you for the good work you're doing. And Lord, we ask that you would be with our country, that you would be with every church in the United States that is gathering this morning to preach your word and proclaim Jesus as risen from the dead. Pray that you would encourage those churches and those pastors and those congregations all over our country. God, we need revival. We beg for it. We believe it. We believe that you're going to do it. And Lord, we hope against hope. Lord, because some of the scenes and headlines of our day look pretty grim. So God, we believe that you will be faithful. We believe that you will keep your promises to us. We believe that nothing will break your promises to us. And so God, we are thankful for all that you are doing. Lord, this passage of scripture is so inspirational to us. It's the early church, our early brothers and sisters in Christ and how they were living at that time is so amazing and we are so thankful for their example. Help us to mimic them and may your grace visit us in the same ways. And God, we'll rejoice in your sovereign goodness to us, God. Answer our prayers according to the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Amen. You guys are just uh, not dismissed yet. Nope. <laughs> Seated, seated, seated. Yeah, dismissed. Everybody's like, woohoo! This is the greatest morning of all time. I love it. You got another thing coming. Amen. Okay. Our sermon series this morning is uh, The Thriving Church. And we are in the book of Acts, as you know. And The Thriving Church is um, exampled for us in the book of Acts. So, the book of Acts, if you have never read the book of Acts, it is our model for how to thrive as a church in a hostile and godless culture. And last week we talked about thriving in prayer. So I hope that 
You made some applications this week. You prayed more. It was National Day of Prayer on Thursday. Hope you spent some time experiencing God in prayer. My sermon title this morning is Thriving Not in Prayer, but Thriving in Grace. Thriving in Grace. The early church was thriving in the grace of God. As we look at Acts chapter 4, verses 32 to 37, this passage is showing us the church operating with its maximum efficiency. So if you're looking at the church and you're looking at how should a church function, Acts 4, 32 through 37 gives you a sense of how the church would function with maximum efficiency. Now, I don't know if you knew this, but we had a car show yesterday. We had a car show. Oh, wow. I thought I'd get a little bit more. It was awesome. This car show was incredible. Here's a couple pictures. And uh, you can see the one picture is kind of more of an overview look at it. We had 40 plus cars entered into this thing. The food was rocking. The 50s music was rolling through the parking lot. And you can see uh, Pastor Rob and I checking out a certain Brad Miller's race car. And that was an amazing experience. And here's the thing. The coolest part of the car show yesterday was looking at all these cars that are operating, by and large, at maximum efficiency or close to. These cars were customed. The engines were amazing. Many of the engines were actually painted, right, with chrome and different colors. And like it was so clean. The exteriors sparkled with amazing paint jobs, and the interiors were like really, really dressed up. So you're looking at cars that were operating at maximum efficiency. And the coolest part for me was at the end of the car show, uh, Brad and his dad got their, the drag racer and the race car engine started. And when that happened, like the, the cement shook. Can I get an Amen. It was cool. And they were just, blah, 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 blah. and everybody was like gathering around in a circle to watch these guys rev up their engines. And not to be outdone, after all the trophies were handed out, the coolest part of the car show was listening to all these cars start up, rev it up a little bit, and out they went. And our parking lot smelled amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I think I got contact high just, just standing there watching them. But here's the thing. The coolest part of the car show was just these maximum efficient cars just rolling through the parking lot to wherever they were going next. And I thought, what a good metaphor for my sermon on Sunday morning. The church in Acts 4, 32-37 is operating at max efficiency. I mean, this is probably one of the most powerful passages of what a church should look like. It's bubbling along. The church's exterior looks great. The interior looks redone. The engine is roaring. The church is moving forward at maximum efficiency. And what do I mean by that? I mean verse 33 the second half of verse 33, it says, and great grace was upon them all. Great grace. The, the idea of great there in Greek means mega, mega grace, big grace, not mega, mega. Amen. All right. Oh, wow. That was a political one. I didn't, didn't go over. Great grace was on them all, mega grace, unearned favor, the grace of God 
was on the church in an amazing way. Now, what is grace anyway? Grace is the God favor upon the unworthy. If you're experiencing God's grace, you're experiencing his favor on you, an unworthy sinner. So when God's grace is being poured out on a church or a group of people, it is his amazing favor on the unworthy and all the unworthy folks in this house say amen, right? Amen. A church should be a place of grace, not human merit, not law keeping, not pride, not human righteousness. A church should be where the grace of God is poured out on a group of unworthy sinners. And God's grace is God extending his divine unearned favor to the wicked. Grace is to be received according to God's word as a gift. Grace is a gift. God's grace is a gift. You can't earn it. You can't merit it. And in all ways, when the grace of God floods into your life, it is a life-changing experience, is it not? When you receive the gospel, the grace of God floods into your life and your soul and your mind, and it is a wonderful thing to receive. And when a group of people all experience the gospel together and the grace of God floods on a group of people, it is a contagious movement that changes the world. When God's grace lands on a congregation, it changes things, doesn't it? It changes neighborhoods. It changes sections of a city. It changes even a country. We watched a movie this week. You've probably already watched it, but I, I just watched it this week. It's called Jesus Revolution. Anybody seen this movie? Great. Now listen, this is awesome. This is the story of Calvary Chapel and what God did pouring his spirit out in salvation and gospel proclamation in Southern California in the early 1970s. And if you haven't seen this movie yet, I would highly recommend this movie. And you know that that is a miracle coming from this pastor because I don't often recommend Christian movies. But our own Jim Davis, Jim, raise your hand. Jim Davis was saved on a surfboard in California by the ministry of Calvary Chapel. Praise God. And were you baptized at Pirate's Cove? Were you? Maybe, maybe not. We don't know. You're going to have to ask him after service. But our own Jim Davis was, I mean, when he is coming off of a surfboard and hearing the gospel from Chuck Smith and Greg Laurie and all these guys, this is a massive work of grace that happened in Southern California in the 70s in so much that Time Magazine even did their cover um, article on the Jesus revolution. That's mega grace. Amen. That's mega grace. Grace came down to Southern California and all God's people said it needs to happen again. Amen. But how about Iowa? How about us righteous Midwesterners? Do we need the gospel? Do we need the grace of God? Man, I don't know what to even say about that. I, I'm foolish enough to believe that God has revival in store for us. 
Amen? I'm foolish enough to believe that the grace of God needs to come to Iowa. And it needs to come to Living Waters Fellowship. The grace of God needs to rule and reign over all things. The grace of God, the unmerited favor of God, where a people could gather together and we could all say with one heart and one soul and one mind, I don't deserve the grace of Jesus. But it has come to me and I'm swimming in it. And I thank God for a church that swims in grace with me. And we have the Engage Network, and we have the SALT Network in our area, and we're excited to be a part of those and and affiliated with those and cheerleaders for these movements of God, but we need it here and now, the mega grace of God. So let me just extend this brief introduction into the idea of grace. If you don't know how important grace is in your life, The word grace is referenced 118 times in the New Testament. Jesus himself was full of grace and full of truth, John 1, 18. Grace is how we are saved. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says that we are saved by grace. It's not a work that you can do. The gospel is called the gospel of the grace of God. Acts 20, verse 24, every single person who's ever received a card from me in the mail, I put Acts 20, 24, because it's my life verse. And at the end of that verse, it says that I may testify to the gospel of the grace of God. The gospel, as it expands the grace of God, also expands to more people, 2 Corinthians Chapter 4, verse 15 says that. And Paul said that what he was, he was by the grace of God. 1 Corinthians 15, 10, by the grace of God, I am what I am. If you're a Christian this morning, isn't that good news? You are who you are by the grace of God. Amen? By the grace of God. And Jesus said, God's grace is sufficient for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. I would challenge you and encourage you this week as a Christian to do a word study on grace. Your heart will be blessed. Your mind will be blessed. If you just study grace. Grace is the unmerited favor of God. And when God's grace pours out on his church, there are gifts that are given to the church. When the grace of God is thick, there are gifts that come with this God of grace. What are these gifts? That's my big idea in the text. God's grace was poured out to the early church as gifts. And these gifts on the early church caused it to thrive and to grow. We'll call them grace gifts. Now, what grace gifts did the church receive in this passage and how Can we see these gifts exercised in our own church at Living Waters? This morning, I want to lay out for you three gifts that I think are there in the text. Three gifts of God's grace to the early church. Grace gift number one is unity. Grace gift number one is unity, verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. All the believers were one in heart and mind and mind. The grace of God gave the early church unity. In the early church, all the people 
had the same mind or the same heart, and the word heart there in Greek is soul. They had the same thinking process, and they had the same soul together. That is amazing because the church is well over 20,000 people at this point, 20,000 plus people all thinking the same thing. Can you imagine a more great miracle that God is doing? Man, we can't even agree on what kind of toothpaste we all use, amen? We can't, we can't agree on favorite restaurants and all the other stuff that we have convictions about. And the early church is unified in mind and in soul together as one. That is grace. That's amazing grace. How beautiful to recognize the importance of mind and soul unity amongst believers. And I have to ask you this morning, who is your mind and soul unified with today? Are you unified to God's grace? And are you unified with other believers? Because that's the ticket. That's how the grace of God explodes in the church. A unified church is the result of the gift of God's grace in his body. This unity is exactly what Jesus prayed for in John 17. He said this, Jesus said, I pray that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Our unity as a church is a, is a reflection of the grace of God in our church. So our unity in mind and soul is a reflection of Jesus' prayer because Jesus said himself that our unity will be that the world might believe that you've sent me. The, the world looks at the church and they see XYZ believer gossiping and saying bad things about each other and not unified about doctrine and not unified about practical living. And they're just like, well, what's different in that than what I live? And our testimony is ruined because we don't agree on doctrine and love for one another. Now, that is the key to, to unity. And you know that a church that is full of the grace of God is there because there is a unity of spirit and mind. Do you have to agree on your toothpaste? No, you don't have to. Praise God. But you do need to agree on the resurrection of Jesus. Amen? You do need to agree about fundamental doctrine. You do need to believe that the word of God is the word of God. You do need to believe in the grace of the gospel. Unity is a hard thing to maintain and keep. Can I get an amen? It's very hard. Regarding the United States, Benjamin Franklin, after they signed the Declaration of Independence, was said, we have a republic now. What are we going to do? And he says, well, it's your republic if you can keep it. Have you ever heard that before, that quote? It's your republic if you can keep it. And what was Benjamin Franklin saying? It's going to be hard to stay unified. And it's your republic if you are unified together. And I would say even more important than the United States of America is the church of Jesus. We have to stay together if we can keep it. And the unity that we are commanded to keep is found in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Paul said, I therefore a prisoner of the Lord... 
urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Grace in a church is evidenced in its unity. A church that is thriving is going to be unified in the gospel, in their thinking and in their love for Christ and for one another. A a really thriving church experiences the grace of God in such a way that they're not squabbling about secondary things like color of carpet or color of stain on cement floors, maybe. Music preferences, favorite preachers. Josh, you're a good preacher, but I really like how so-and-so says it all the time. In the day of YouTube and all of this stuff, it's good to listen to a lot of other voices, but you need to be unified in a local assembly. Felt needs, personal agendas, secondary things like that. When God's grace is in the room, God's gift is unity. Treasuring Christ together. And that's the first grace gift. The second one is testimony. The second gift is testimony. Verse 33 And with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. The grace of God gave the early church a testimony to share. By the grace of God, the early church was still experiencing the powerful testimony and preaching of the apostles. And they were preaching about the resurrection of the Jesus Christ from the dead. Grace was being given to the preaching. When a church is thriving, the Spirit is empowering the preaching and the proclamation. Powerful preaching is not mere emotionalism. Powerful preaching is solid and clear declaration that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. And if we're going to have a church experiencing the grace of God, we've got to have strong preaching that talks about how Jesus is alive. And you've got to have not only preaching from the pulpit that says Jesus is alive, but you've got to have a church full of grace receivers that are telling people in their witness that Jesus is alive from the dead. So the preaching was that the resurrection of Jesus was from the dead, and this preaching was filled with hope and with power. And I'll just tell you this morning that gospel preaching is hope-filled preaching. Amen? We preach not a doomsday message, though we do preach on the judgment of God. We preach a hope-filled message. Believe in the resurrected Christ who's alive and well and ruling and reigning. Jesus is alive, and that is what every grace-filled church filled with grace-filled preachers will testify in the church and out of the church, even on the Sundays that are not Easter Sunday. Amen? Mega grace empowers the preaching of the word with power. Paul said to Timothy, preach the word. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. Jesus came preaching with authority. And the gospel comes to the world through the grace of preaching. Romans 10, 14. How will they call upon them in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching, Romans 10, 14. When the church is experiencing grace, they will have a strong preaching 
testimony. A church that is thriving is not ashamed of the gospel. If a church is thriving, they're not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation. To everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to, to the Greek. Now, just to illustrate this, we should, as a church, value the pulpit and proclamation ministries. Now, I, I want to encourage you, thank you for your encouragement of me over the years. Specifically, some weeks, I'm not sure how you could encourage me with the sermons that I brought or that I bring. I guess I should I leave that in the present tense. But the church, you guys have been so encouraging. Pastor, thank you for preaching the word. Okay, that empowers me to keep going, right? And not only preaching from the pulpit, but also sharing the gospel privately. It is a joy to lead people to Christ. It is a joy to proclaim the resurrection of Jesus to those personally. In fact, I might find more joy in doing that. But even this week, just, the, just this week, Rob and Reuben proclaimed the resurrection of Jesus to a lady in our community, and just this week she came to Christ. Amen? That is awesome. I get almost more excited about that than I do me leading someone to Christ because I'm like, yeah, we have other people proclaiming the resurrected Christ. That is amazing because that's how culture is going to change. So thriving churches, we should never give way to worldly philosophies. And there's a lot of philosophies out there that are being pushed on us to, hey, preach this, preach this, do this, go away from death, burial, and resurrection, and preach on all the topics that are secondary. And a thriving church says no to preaching garbage and yes to preaching Jesus. Amen? So by God's grace... When the grace of God fills the room, there's powerful testimony of Christ. Third grace gift is generosity. Generosity. The third grace gift is generosity. Verse 34, there was no needy persons among them. For from the time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone as they had need. Finally, the grace of God gave the early church generosity. This early church shared every material and financial thing that they had. This is a picture of the church's commitment to one another financially. There was this radical generosity to one another in, in, in people's needs, and this was amazing. And this is not um, a picture of socialism or communism. Okay, like some people look at this text and like, well, everybody's just giving all their stuff and it's like this big pot and everybody gets distribution and that's communism, that's socialism. No, it's not. This was people who felt led by God to be generous towards those who were in need. This was not uniform across the board. This was very specific towards those who were being impacted by the grace of God. And they were selling all of their things and they were experiencing the grace of God in an amazing way. How, how extreme was this? Well, there wasn't any needy person among them. Verse 34. There were no needy persons. That God's grace was carrying with it such power and practical effect that the financial generosity of the church almost eliminated mercy needs in the church. That is unheard of. The grace of God was impacting 
so many things in so many people's hearts that this thriving church was giving financially to those in need. How generous were people being? I mean, were they throwing a 20 in the offering box? I mean, like, wow, maybe a Benjamin Franklin back there? Like, what was going on? How generous was this generosity? According to the text, they were selling their houses and their properties. And all God's people said, wait a minute. They were selling their houses and their properties and laying the money at the apostles' feet for distribution. This is amazing grace. To sell your house, to sell your property and lay it down for people that you probably never met. The church is 20,000 plus. You're probably not knowing who, what need you're meeting. You're probably just giving as an act of worship. This is generosity and it's also great humility. Coming before the apostles and laying it at their feet, trusting them to distribute to the needs that were there. And by the way, this is where we get our idea and pattern of giving the way that we do today. Believers give and the leaders in concert with the congregation ultimately give direction to the distribution. That's how it works still today. And this radical, joyful financial generosity is the the early church knew. They just knew this worldview. I mean, the worldview is this. The money isn't yours. It's God's. The early church, showered with the grace of God, knew that the money wasn't theirs. It was God's to begin with. And I would say that it's still true today. The money isn't yours, church. It's not your money. Yes, it is. I worked really hard for it. Who gave you the brain? And who gave you the body? And who gave you the opportunity? God did. It is not your money. It's his money. Can I get an amen? It's his. You are called to steward what is already his and to be a giver of God's resources I'm not saying you got to sell your home. I'm not saying that at all. That's not the practical application here. But what I am saying is that you do need to be willing to be influenced by the grace of God in big ways. So a personal example to finish the message, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field. And he brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. We have this specific worship of Joseph, who would later be famously known as Barnabas. Barnabas is a nickname. It means son of encouragement. His real name was Joseph. He was a Levite, and somehow he had land in Cyprus. If you know Cyprus, that is an island to the east of the Mediterranean in the sea. It is a very nice place. To this very day, you can Google Cyprus, and you can see it's a very awesome, vacation-y kind of place to be. And Joseph, who is Barnabas, comes with this plot of land from this beautiful island, and instead of retiring there, uh, he, he sold it all. And if I'm the Apostle Peter, I'm like, hey, I'll take the land and we'll plant a church in Cyprus. Amen. Church in Cyprus. Amen. That's what I would have said. Like, let's do a Hawaii church plant. Let's do a Cyprus church plant. But Barnabas sold it, brought all the money, laid it at the apostles' feet for distribution. He sold it all. Amazing grace is how you can explain that. Because Barnabas laid his life down 
for the gospel. Not only did he sell what would be a very valuable piece of property, but he then gave his life to travel with the Apostle Paul and start churches all over Europe. Is that everybody's plan? No, it's not everybody's plan, but that was God's plan for him. And that is the amazing grace of God, this generosity that flows. And that's where we'll close as a church. And when God's grace is upon a church, generosity flows out of it. And I want to just encourage our church. We're doing such an amazing job. I'm so thankful for the generosity that God has poured out upon Living Waters. I want to encourage you to continue to be driven by the grace of God. Be generous. Be more generous. I can tell you, even this week, I sat with an individual in their home, and they are blown away by what God is doing at Living Waters. When I can tell people in our community we don't owe a dime on this property, people are like, are you kidding me? This is South Des Moines. What is happening over there? And I say radical generosity, radical grace. And so I want to encourage you as a church to continue to be moved by the grace of God. God's grace was poured out as gifts on the early church in unity, in testimony, and in generosity. Do you know this grace? Do you know the grace of God through Christ? It's my prayer that many of you know Christ as your Savior. Live by the grace you were saved by. In unity and testimony and generosity. And some of you need to experience this grace in a fresh way. So as a Christian, we're going to close in a song, and I want you just to sing. And as you sing, I want you to think about the grace that saved you, and I want you to celebrate the fact that you're still living by that same grace. And for some of you, you're not saved yet. You're trying to work your way to heaven. You're trying to be good enough. You're trying to do all these things. You're trying to keep up with the Joneses. And what you need is an intervention from God's amazing grace. Jesus Christ came to the earth died, was buried, and rose again so that you can be saved by his infinite favor on your, unwi- your unworthy and wicked heart. So for some of you, you need to get saved. Regardless, we all need to respond to the grace of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to worship you in the word. God, we thank you for your grace, your unmerited, unearned favor that you pour out on unworthy sinners like us. God, you do it, and when you pour out your grace, unity happens, unity in your church. Thank you for the unity you have given living waters. Lord, we are so blessed. And God, we beg you for more unity of soul and of mind. God, you have empowered testimony You've empowered people to get saved. You've empowered gospel preaching. You've empowered witnessing for your name. Lord, bring it on. Bring more of it on in our church. And God, you have empowered generosity through your grace. I think of Jesus who was rich, yet for our sake he became poor. So that through his poverty we might become rich in Christ. Lord, May you move on our hearts. Lord, some Christians have lost their spirit of generosity. 
Lord, would you restore that spirit by the power of your grace? Lord, would you wake us up as a church to go even faster and further and to give more than we ever have before so that your name can be known? God, you're doing it. Thank you for your grace. Pour it out on us. May we be open-handed recipients. Help us to sing for your glory and respond for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand once more, shall we?
in my lungs, my heart cries out, to you belongs the glory. Through every loss or victory, my soul will rise to only bring you glory. Sing that again with every breath. With every breath that's in my lungs, my heart cries out to you belongs the glory. Through every loss or victory, my soul will rise to That's awesome. I'm glad you finished with that. I was, I was like, it would be really cool to sing Amazing Grace. There it was, right? Um, if you're a Christian, I'm, I'm challenging you to receive the grace of God and to live it out in unity and in testimony and in generosity. And some of you need to make some decisions about what that looks like. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, I would invite you into the grace of God for the first time. To know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. To enter in to the kingdom of God through grace and grace alone. So may God make it true this week. If you need to make a decision, you can find myself or one of the other pastors. May God bless you in His grace this week. You guys are dismissed.